0: Well, good morning, Grace. I want to invite you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, and uh, then we're also going to eventually be getting to James chapter 4. And and, and so just while you're turning there, though, I, I just want to say how much I appreciate those that are making a difference serving on guest services, uh, that, that make a difference, that show up early, open doors, parking team. In fact, Man, today, I don't know if you guys knew this, today is National Parking Team Member Day. And uh, I just made that holiday up. And so when you leave, blow kisses to the, uh, to the team. Now listen, I, you, we've got this incredible problem. Because of, of uh, fire codes and that sort of thing, this has become the one service. If you're gonna go to the 930 service, you better get here early. In fact, for the first time, I hate this, we've actually had to tell people you're gonna have to come back because we are packed. What that means is when we're packed, Getting out of here, sometimes getting out of the parking lot is tough. And so we do have these incredible parking team members that are directing you. So do me a favor. First of all, love them, wave at them, a kind wave. And uh, uh, just, you know, like I said, just blow kisses. But then follow their directions. I know for a fact that getting out of here, when you turn right, some of you are like, well, I, I live that way. Turn right. Last week, I kid you not, we, we had one parking team member that almost got hit two times. Two times. And so um, so blow kisses him, because it might be the last time you're going to see him. So just make sure that you get that taken care of. But, but yeah, no, it's very important that you follow us. So please do that. We are, we have just, uh, we've just prayed the, the lighting would strike anybody that turns left. I'm just telling you, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to be good. But no, in all seriousness, I so appreciate what our team is doing to make a difference. In fact, I just heard something really cool. I, I had the chance to, to speak at the monthly, they call it Sisters of Grace Breakfast on Friday. And while I was there, a lady came up to me and she said, I don't think I've ever shared my story with you. She said, in 2015, I, was, uh, I, I had never been to church, never been part of a church, but I, I, I just decided that year, January 1st, I was making a New Year's resolution, I'm going to go to a church somewhere. And she said, I didn't even know where to start, so I just typed churches in Nampa and Google and the church that popped up was Grace Bible Church. And she said, when I looked, it was on a Sunday and it had, uh, uh, it said that services were live. And so I clicked on the live service and I started watching. And she said, when I started watching that, she said, it was almost like I just instantly knew I need to go there. And she said, so I got dressed, I came over. She said, you were speaking when I walked in. And she said, I gave my life to Jesus Christ that morning. She was 75 years old. She said, I left. It even gets better. She said, when I I left, she said, it was just this warmth. I just knew. She said, I was so happy. She said, when I walked in the the house, I was so happy, I kissed my husband. And he didn't know what had happened to me. And, uh, And she said, now, eight years, eight years later, she said, God's made a change in my life. And I, I just think of that, man, we just never know what's going on. And so if you're that person, you might not be 75, you might be 15, you might be 35, wherever you happen to be. But what I know is that God is still in the business of changing lives. And in fact, what we're talking about this morning has everything to do with this whole idea that, that as, as, as Christians, as someone who has been transformed by, by Christ, it's been saved. It's, it's not just that we were changed, but we're gonna talk about this fact that we are being changed. Now, part of this is a struggle for, for us. And, and so let me just illustrate it this way. I love being in shape, but I also love tacos. And so like, there are, there are times that there is, a, there is a battle between the two. You know what I'm talking about? Come on, some of you know what I'm talking about. Taco Tuesday rolls around. You're like, man, you find yourself, uh, you know, there at the Lone Star Market or whatever, and you don't even realize you have down six tacos. You're like, what just happened? All you see are the crumbs, and you're like, I lost my mind. I blacked out. What happened? (laughs) Some of you feel that way when it goes to, you know, when it comes to anyone. You know, you love good grades. You just love Hanging out with friends. What <laughs> you love studying for, for the test? You know what I'm saying? We, we have a struggle. But, but I, I do think there's something to be true. There are those of us that you, you would get this. You love Jesus, but you hate to admit it. You also struggle with, you, you kind of love your sin too. And so what, what do we do when we feel this tension? Because there's some of you that are here that, that you, you're like, I, I know that I've been forgiven, that God saved me, but I also know that I am feeling this internal tension. Well, what I love about the series that we're in in 2 Peter, he talks about how to resolve this tension. He's gonna to talk to us a little bit about what it means, not just to, to think that we've been changed and then we don't have to change anymore. No, we're changed, but we're changed to change. We're gonna to continue to change. And last week we looked at the verses that almost, it almost seems too good to be true when Peter writes in verse three of 2 Peter 1 that his divine power, talking about Christ's divine power, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them You may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And so so what I want to do is as we break this down, we're in the series, I I want us to talk about this last phrase of of chapter four, I'm sorry, verse four, chapter one, verse four. And then we're going to go to James four to to kind of provide a little commentary on understanding this this whole thing uh, that, that he's talking about here. Because there is, there is something that's actually is, is pretty amazing. It's a pretty cool, cool statement here. He says that since we've been granted his precious, very great promises through them, we've been given the possibility of partaking in his divine nature. And, and then it's like, it's, it's in past term, having escaped from the corruption that's that's in the world because of sinful desire, and so so first of all, let, let me just let's, let's do a little clarification here. Let me let me break down a few terms to make sure we're all we we know what we're talking about. So so what is Peter talking about? When he's talking about, uh, when he's talking about corruption, well, the word that's translated corruption literally means it's, it's, it's a state of ruin or destruction with the implication of disintegration. And, and so what he's talking about is that, man, spiritually, ever since the fall, you go all the way back to, to Genesis chapter three, talks about Adam and Eve and there's this whole thing. Uh, they, they had very clear instructions. They did not respond to those instructions. They disobeyed uh, what God had asked them to do and, and, and they sinned. And there was a curse that was associated with that, with that sin. And honestly, that curse has been handed down to every generation ever since then. And so this world is, is, is literally, it's, it's, it's a state of corruption. So what Peter's talking about is, is, is death, the, the, the coming judgment of this world. But he says that we can escape this. We can escape this corruption. It's literally a, a smell of decay that's marked this world ever since the fall have you been, you ever been around a a smell that, it's almost like it just, it just takes over. It just like gets into your skin or whatever. Uh, The other night we were having life group and and, uh, one of the members of our life, long time members of our life group is, is Bree Katzenberger. If you know Bree, I call her the queen of scentsy. I'm gonna tell you right now. And so I I had hung my coat uh, when I came in her house, we were over at their house for life group. I'd hung my coat on a chair that I didn't realize until I left was next to one of those uh, warmer things that you put the candle in there and then the scent comes out. I didn't think anything of it. I got home the next morning as I'm going over to the office, I'm like, <laughs> My nice coat, it smells different. And, and so I get to the, the office and, and, you know, nobody else was here. And so I, I spent some time and, and I, I, you know, I thought about that. Well, that was crazy. I went home and Wednesday I come back over to the office and and I, I took my coat off and I handed it to people. I'm like, smell my coat. And they're like, that's the weirdest question we've ever been asked. I'm like, no, seriously. Like, like, it, smells, they're like it smells like, it smells like a candle. And I'm like, yeah, it, like, like that smell, it's it just been there. You know, it just... My coat, it smells a lot better than normally it normally smells. I can tell you that. That was good. Well, then on, on Wednesday, I went out to eat with somebody. And, and so I came back into the office and, and Abby McCrary, who's, who's my assistant, she does all my scheduling. By the way, do not set up an appointment with me directly. I will forget and double, I am the worst at that. And so Abby saves my bacon all the time. So just go to her. And so, so Abby, Abby's waiting for me. I come in and like, she doesn't say hi. She doesn't smile at me. She literally wrinkles up her nose. She goes, where have you been? like what? She goes, she goes, where did you eat lunch? I'm like, five guys. I said, why? She goes, you smell like where you've been. I'm like, what in the world? So apparently like, and and then the rest of the day, I'm like, you know, like like every meeting, I'm like, do I smell like grease? I I don't know, you know, but there there are, there are these, these smells that, 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 you know, we, we get that in, in life. Here's the reality though. In a, in a very real spiritual sense, <laughs> no pun intended, uh, we literally have been impacted by the smell of the decay of this world. We're touched by sin. And so when he says that we've escaped this corruption, that's a big thing. But it's good for us to understand what causes this decay, what causes this corruption. And, he, and, and Peter tells us it's, sin, it's, it's sinful desires, And and, and so in in James 4, as we jump over to James 4, James provides a little more commentary. And while we don't know specifically if he's addressing a problem when he writes here in James chapter 4, I'm sure there's something going on, but we don't know names or anything. But what he says gives us some insight when he writes in verse 1. He asks this question, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions... Are at war within you, and, and you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know this whole thing. <laughs> love being in shape. Love tacos. Love living for Jesus. But but I I, I feel the draw. I love this too, you, you, man. Don't you know that the problem? Your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And then he says this. I mean, like he. It's an exclamation point here. You adulterous people. Hello, well, that's pretty strong language. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's huge. Like, like this whole poll, what he says, is like, don't you know that if you're trying to, if you're trying to maintain this relationship between two to, to, to be friends here, it, it's man it's with God, like, like it's a black and white type thing here. And and so when he says, you adulterous people, he's not writing to people that are having issues within their own marriage. He's actually referring to this theme that we find all through scripture. Like it's in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and it's not just in, like anytime we do a marriage series, you know, you're in Ephesians chapter five and in Ephesians 5.32 says that marriage, the purpose of marriage is to give us this picture of the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. Listen, all through scripture, we're, we're given analogies of how God interacts with us as his, uh, as his people. You know, there's the analogy of a king and subjects that shows up sometimes in the Psalms and other places. Um, a shepherd and sheep, uh, that shows up in a lot of the prophets, also the Psalms. But probably uh, probably the, the one, well, I guess there's, there's like father and children and all that, but probably the one for me, as I'm thinking out loud here, that's, that's the most... I don't know, man, it's, it's maybe the most daring and intimate of all the, the descriptions is where we read where God calls himself the groom and calls his people his bride. And so like, like when, you, when you go through this, it, it, it actually changes the, the whole, our whole understanding of a relationship. There's one thing to be the subjects of a king. It's another thing, it's a whole new level of commitment when we see ourselves being the spouse of, of someone else. You know what I'm saying? That the level of commitment raises considerably. And, and so like th- this shows up, man, in Isaiah, it shows up in Psalms, it shows up in Jeremiah, it shows up in, man, like almost the entire chapter of Ezekiel 16. There's a whole book written about this, Hosea, which is just, whoo. it's weird, where God wants to, wants Israel to understand, man, how they have, what they've done in rejecting him. Like he has this guy, marry a prostitute, it's a whole you're like, what? Like like, seriously, you you read through Hosea He breaks this down. The whole point probably of of all this can be summarized, you know, in in Romans chapter seven, where the apostle Paul, we we know that using that chapter because it has the, you know, the parts like, I do what I don't want to do. I don't do what I should do. We we got that part memorized because sometimes we use it as an excuse to do what we want to do. It's not what it's there for. But actually in the first part of, of Romans chapter seven, before he ever gets into that, he's using this idea of a husband and wife. And he says, you're no longer in essence married to the law. You're married to Christ. You're not, you're not part of this old life. You have a new spouse. In fact, he, he goes, goes as far to say this. He says, as a woman is married to a husband, so you died to the law so that you might belong to another. And here's the reason, so that you might bear fruit to God. This sermon is not about the birds and the bees. His point, though, is this. Just as in a, in a relationship between a husband and wife, in that intimate, intimate relationship, the result of, of physical intimacy is the fruit of that, is children. In the very same way, there's this intimacy that we have. We are the bride. This intimacy with Christ, In fact, there will be fruit that comes from that. There is a noticeable change. And so when James is saying, you adulterous people, he's talking about friendship with the world. He's not using the term friend like, like, uh, as a platonic term. You know what I'm saying? Where it's a platonic friendship. So, so for instance, I mean, I've got a lot of friends. Uh, man, I, I love the staff that I get to work with, work with the greatest people in the world. Guys, girls, they're my friends. But it's not the type of friendship that I have with my wife, Right? So so, like, so let's, just, let's use this crazy, off-the-wall, ridiculous example, and you'll, you'll get what I'm talking about. Let's just say when Lori and I got married June 19th, 1999, that on that day, had the ceremony, we had the reception, do the cutting of the cake, and then we're going to leave on our honeymoon. Let's just say that I tell her as we're leaving, I say, hey, listen, we're supposed to stay at this hotel um, are you cool with me dropping you off? And then I'm gonna go spend some time with my uh, other girlfriend tonight. Are you cool with that? Like w- when, I, when I say that, it, it, like there's almost a visceral like, whoa, that is jacked up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, that's messed up. And I want us to understand this relationship with, with God. Our relationship with God is not an open relationship. What we don't see, we don't see our sin, we see our sin as just our failures. We don't, usually we view our sin, even when we pray, man, we're, we, we're repentant and all that, we're confessing, and, and God, man, please take this from me. We, we see it, not so much of, of how he's viewing this, we see it just, we see our failure and we don't wanna be a failure. But literally, here's, here's the way scripture reveals this. Friendship with the world, it's not a platonic thing, it's, it's talking about sleeping around with the world, if you will, is the same thing that, where I'd have a serious issue if my wife was ever, was spending time with her old boyfriend. It's the, it's the same kind of, of language that he's using. That's why he says, you adulterous people. And, and me saying that, like literally, even as I'm saying, it, it feels, it's like this uneasy feeling, like, who? Yet now we're getting what, why, why this is so important. You see, when, when, we're, when, we're, when we're reading about this and we're, we're talking about the world, it's not, when I, when I talk about the world, it's not like just having fun. There's nothing wrong with having fun. There's, there's nothing wrong with men enjoying relationships. I'm, I'm talking about the, the, the world. When he talks about us being friends with the world and how that is antithesis to, to being married to Christ, if you will, being the bride of Christ. The, the world is, this, is it's really, it's, it's an invisible spiritual system that is opposed to God that primarily manifests itself through lust. And so when I talk about lust, like we, we, we hear the word lust, we think of that in a sexual context. But, but lust is not just a sexual context, though it could be that. Lust is a desire for something to satisfy and for something to give us what we want other than Christ. And it's this, it's this lust that, that, that pulls us away. And this lust will often lead to addiction. Now, when we think of addiction, you know, even like our celebrate recovery ministry that meets on Monday nights here at the church, we think of just addiction to alcohol or maybe addiction to porn or addiction to drugs or whatever. No, 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 no. These lusts has it's, it's so much more it's, it's lust for for power it's lust for for anything that gratifies or delivers on pleasure and so there, there can't there, there's more than just addiction to what we think of when we first think of addiction there's addiction to anger there's addiction to violence there's addiction to getting my way at all costs there's addiction uh, to, to lying there's a there's addiction to to amusement to to social media there's there, there's addiction uh, to language that dehumanizes others we don't know how how to disagree without dehumanizing the other person there's there's this there's this addiction that has everything to do with this lust and 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 this is this is what he's talking about this is what Peter gives us this good news that we've escaped this and you're like whoa whoa, hold on a second I'd like to say that I've escaped that but I haven't escaped that hold on a second no Peter says that you have. And, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna talk about three things, I'm gonna talk about three things, but two of them, we're gonna look at what God has done when it comes to escaping. But we're also gonna look at uh, the part that he has called us to play when it comes to experiencing victory. Because here's the good news, church. You've been called to victory. There's a reason, I didn't get a lot of amens. Some of you are like, yeah, I'd like to believe that. But no. no, listen, there's a reason why Paul wrote in Romans chapter six, he's a reminder if you're in Christ, you are no longer a slave to sin. You're no long, you might feel like it, you might be trained to be a slave, you're no longer a slave to sin, you are slaves to righteousness. He said, so therefore present your members, present your body as slaves to righteousness. So there's, there's three aspects of this that we, that we have to, to look at. But, but, I, but I wanna make sure before I, before I break them down that, 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 that we understand that we have this incredible potential Here's what, what Peter does in Second in Peter chapter one, he ties this potential of escaping the corruption of this world specifically to Christ's precious and very great promises. He ties them to his promises. Those promises says that you can live. He said, "Because I've lived, you'll live." That, that says, "I've come to give you life and give it more abundantly." Promises we find all through Scripture, we can anchor our hope. Of victory, not perfection, our hope of victory, however, in the fact that Christ has promised and what Christ has promised he will deliver on. And when he says that, that, that we will become divine partakers, he's not talking about that we're going to become a god, but he is talking about we will become godly. We we will become we will begin to share in the moral qualities of Christ. We will be transformed. You see, we are changed and we are being changed. It starts with this word that we call conversion. And conversion is both an event and a process. There there's a there's a time where where our faith takes hold where we are brought to faith, we begin to understand that Christ can save me. And and it gets to this place where it's like, I believe that he can save me. And we put our full weight on Christ for salvation. This is when it starts, but it doesn't end there. We're given the Holy Spirit who begins to transform us. He goes about making us godly. We, we begin at conversion, we share in this divine, we become uh, partakers of the divine nature. Now, what it means to be a partaker, it literally means to be, you, you know, you become, a, you become a partner. So for instance, some of you have been married so long that you're starting to look like one another. Like so, so, some of you, for sure, if you've been married, you know, 15, 20, 30, 50, 70, 120 years, whatever, you got to the place, you begin to think like each other. A person says something, you, you know, your spouse begins to say something, you can finish their sentence before, and sometimes they don't want you to finish their sentence, but you do anyway. But you know what I'm saying? Like you spend so much time with a person, you begin to think. It's like your your, your minds become aligned in some way. You know what they're gonna say. The reality is, is we begin to walk, The Spirit is transforming us. This is what 2 Corinthians 3 is talking about. We are being transformed into the likeness of Christ and and we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. It's it's a process, but the more we walk with Christ, the more we pursue Christ, the more the the, the Spirit is at work. We're, We're beginning to change. It started with conversion, but it's a continued work that he's doing. It's what Peter's saying Christ has given saving promises to people so they will become godly. They will grow in godliness because they have escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So I want you to hear my big point, and then I'm going to give you the three things that, you know, as we close, I want to make sure that we understand this. Here's the key this is huge right here. Christ's promises are the key to our escape from sin's corruption. We're gonna start there, that's the foundation. That's what, that's what the word of God says, we're gonna anchor to this. Christ's promises are the key to our escape from sin's corruption. The, the, the victory, the freedom that we crave. Man, I'll be honest, like there, it's, it's miserable being pulled one, being pulled two ways at one time. That's no, that's no fun. Tug of war might be fun if you're on one side or the other. It's no fun being the rope. You know what I'm saying? Like, we want to get past this. We want to go all in, but, but we feel like it's not possible. No, Christ's promises are the key. Which, first of all, I just mean you need to know Christ's promises. You got to know Christ's promises. Now, here, here's a few things we need to know. We need to know what God has done. First of all, we escape the spiritual corruption of our fallen nature at salvation. This is Christ's work. This is what, when we believe, when we believe in what Christ has done, we escape the spiritual corruption of our fallen nature, salvation. And whether we know this or not, what we have to grasp, is, we let scripture inform what happened. We don't let our feelings inform what happened. And here's what scripture says. John 1:12 12 says we become children of God at salvation. Romans 8, 9 says that the spirit of God dwells in those who are saved which if the spirit dwells within you, you're partakers of the divine nature. Galatians 2.20, Paul puts it this way, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but it's not I, it's Christ who lives in me by the spirit of Christ. Paul says later in 1 Corinthians 3, 16, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Colossians 1 and 27 talks about Christ in you. It is Christ in us. We are partakers. We're, we're, we're partners in this, this. This sanctimonious word that we only use when we talk about church events. Oh, we had a wonderful time of fellowship. Like nobody talks about that anywhere else other than church. You know, felt, literally that's what it means though. We are partakers. We're doing this together. We're in this together. Just as, just as uh, you know, Lori and I, we've been married now for, Twenty going on 24 years. Whew, that was quick. I almost forgot. Um, we, we've been married for 24 years. Like literally we're, we're growing in our, it's, it together, Th- this is very real. God is working in us. And so we escaped in a, in, a, in a very real sense, the spiritual corruption of our fallen nature at salvation. Whether we grasp that or not, it's true. But here's another thing that you've got to hold on to. We will totally escape corruption when Christ comes back. And so that's another promise. I don't know if you've ever been on a missions trip or anything like that, or maybe, maybe just you, you found yourself in an environment where you are an honored guest, and the way that the person is expressing their honor to you, it makes you feel uncomfortable. Anybody ever been in a situation like that where it's like, oh, like there are times when, when I've, I've been in, in foreign countries and I've been speaking somewhere or whatever, like they'll, it, it's, it's a big deal. In fact, it just recently happened when we were in Kenya where they'll take you to a special place. They have a special table. You have special food. It feels odd because here, here in America, we don't do things that way. And, and, and so because of that, there's this natural, you, you're just like, whoa, whoa no, I'm not, I'm not deserving this, man. I'm just an ordinary person like, like everybody else. And when we were there, a person said, Do not rob them of the blessing of expressing honor. Allow them to express this. Be humble enough to receive with gratitude the honor. I'm like, Oh, that's good right there. <laughs> but there's coming a day when we're going, to, we're going to receive something that is going to blow our minds. Because, because, first of all, salvation. If we grasp the salvation we've been given, we know that we're unworthy. We just know that, that we're unworthy. But there's coming a day when, as Revelation 19 refers to it, there's going to be a wedding celebration. There's going to be a wedding take place in heaven. Now, my son's getting married this summer. And here's what I'm finding out. I forgot how this was when I got married. It's not just the couple that's making wedding plans. It involves the entire family. In fact, just today, I found out that we, have, we had uh, just in the first service, there were two couples that just this past week got engaged and I was congratulating them and, and that's, that's exciting. Now, wed- weddings are wonderful things, but there's going to be a time in heaven that, that they're going to have uh, this, this wedding, and John is, is, John who wrote Revelation, he's describing this vision that he has of heaven and he's describing what he sees and he hears and he says this in Revelation 19, 6. He said, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was Granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And then he describes what he's talking about, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And and here's what you've got to understand is that the people who are singing this, this is the great multitude. You and I, if we're in Christ, are gonna be part of that great multitude. And the song that we're singing, if you listen to the lyrics of the song we're singing, don't have anything to do with what we put a lot of our our focus on attention here. We're not singing, oh, I got the job that I finally wanted. Oh, I finally, I finally got that number in the bank account that I wanted. Oh, my kids turned out perfect. Oh, everything went well. I had the best friends. I had everything I needed. I, I experienced healing. No, they're not singing of the things that, that, that we think are, are going to deliver in this temporary world. No, what they're singing, there's two aspects that I, that I saw in, in, in what John was listening the song. First of all, this, what they're doing and they're acknowledging the song is that God wins, God reigns. Christ won the final victory. He defeated Satan, sin, the flesh, everything we can't defeat, he defeated. We're here because he reigns. That's, that's an incredible part of the song that's gonna be sung in heaven. But the second part of the song that is is so amazing is that when they understand that they're at this ultimate celebration, the wedding of the lamb, this massive shout is heard as the multitude realizes they haven't just been invited to the wedding. They are the bride. They're the bride and they look down and, and all of the, the filthiness and the rags, because what does Isaiah say? Our righteousness is nothing more than filthy rags. All of the the, the the righteousness that we had tried to work and we were we were trying to do everything. No, all of that, all of that thing that, that man, we stumbled and the temptation that kept us back, it is gone. We have been set free and we have been set free for eternity. We are the bride of Christ. When they realize that, it's like, are you kidding me? We're not just guests. We are getting married. Big difference between you being the bride and you being the guest. And there's coming a day when he's going to finish the work that he started. As we listen to eternity, we realize that Christ came to radically change people. And he came to bring the dead back to life. He came so that we could escape the corruption of this world because sin stinks. And guys, sinners do too. We, we feel this. And this partnership with his divine nature is part of the cleansing work that rids us of this decay, the decay that comes about because of these sinful desires. But at the day of Christ, God will finish what he started. Transformed no more sin, no more failure, no more shame, free from it all. And we're like, that's great. I can't wait, but what do I do now? What do I do here? I'm behind, or I'm somewhere between what God started here and what God has promised to complete here. How do I live now? Well, I'm so glad you asked that because this good news is tied directly to repentance first and foremost. And and, and so that's why last week when I talked about the difference between a profession of faith and possession of faith, it's very important because we cannot have true saving faith without repentance. Guys, repentance is not just a changing of the heart. It's when God begins the work of changing our mind as well. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. This is what he does in us. But it's not just a radical change of heart. It's a radical change of direction. Because God would be a cruel God if he said, I'm gonna tell you that you're saved, but I'm gonna let you stay mired in in, in your addictions, and I'm gonna let you stay where you are as a sinner. He does not do that. No, God calls sin paralyzed people, gives them the ability, he calls the dead to life. And that is a miracle, it is a miracle. Every single funeral that I've ever preached, there's never been one time that somebody sat up if they ever sit up, I am running out that aisle. You will never see me at that funeral ever again. Freaked me out. No, that, that's, it's a miracle of God. Dead people don't see, dead people don't hear, dead people. Listen, we can't do anything for ourselves, but God brings us to life. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that has brought. If you are a believer, a son or daughter, the bride of Christ, he has brought you to faith. He's brought you alive in Christ. But here's what I want to make sure that we understand. There's this radical change of direction that takes place. And for those of you that that you're like, yeah, I want that, but you don't understand what, what I'm in. I'm destined to a life of defeat. Maybe you're you're gripped by this particular addiction that you have tried to break. You're part of a family that seems hopelessly divided. Maybe your own marriage has fallen short of, of what you know God has designed it for. Maybe you're lugging around this this pain and this shame from your past. Maybe you're tired of you're, you're tired of good and Intention's gone bad of broken promises of all of these hopes and dreams you need to be changed you crave you crave something but it seems so far away i'm forgiven but i can't change here's the good news you can be changed but you've got to you've got to understand that everything that's been given to you for that change is anchored by the promises of christ which means that you've got to know the promises of christ this, what we read that we've been given everything we need for life and godliness, this is best news. This is the best news possible. This is the good news. It means change is possible. It mean, if we've been given everything we need for life and godliness, you can either listen to that and like, hmm, that's, that's good. And, and then we can forget about that message, go about our day, turn on the playoffs or whatever we're gonna do this afternoon and forget. Or we can, we can't, or we'll just let it get in there like an earworm. We can't, ah. Oh. Oh, change is possible. Change is possible. I've been given everything I need. Change is possible. Change is possible. That means that marriages can change. That means that kids can change. That means that the church, that, that our church can change, that friendship can change, that bitterness can be put to death, that that addiction can be broken, that fear can be de- de- defeated. Thanks to the fact we've been given everything we need, it means that change is possible. Because of Christ, his death, his resurrection, his promises, the incredible opportunity of sharing the divine nature. Every person that smells like death can be cleansed, but you can also escape that. Not just in a spiritual sense, but we can begin to live the life now. You're like, okay, tell me. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Flat out. Here's our part. You gotta stop. Bide into this fact that you're in an open relationship. You got to stop making excuses for why you fail God. Are we, are, man, do we, do we have a sin nature? Absolutely. But we have the spirit. We are partakers of divine nature. Flat out, you have to break it off with the world. We call, listen, instance, listen. Flirtation with the world is a very real thing. It, the, the, the pull is there. And so what I love about what James wrote is James keeps on Writing and he gives us some, 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 great, some, some great advice here. For every person that's, that's wrestling with a pull of sinful desires, listen, I get it. I've been there, I struggle with temptation. Listen, tempta- we are never gonna live this life unopposed. The temptation will come. We are at times gonna fail, but we don't have to fail and then say, because I failed, I'm destined for a life of failure there's the potential for us to get up and move forward. And can I tell you what anchors that? It's what James continues to say. When he says, you adulterous people, you can't be, you can't, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? He says this, he said, for, the, for everyone that's, 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 that's wanting to, you know, that's, that's wanting to break free, he said, uh, you know, he talks about how God yearns jealously over the spirit he's made to dwell in us. But then he says this in verse six, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And so he gives us some steps to take. And, and like, if you're like, I don't know where to start. Guys, I'm gonna give you things. You can either write these down or you can just keep on struggling. But let's go ahead and just buy into what God's given us. Can we just go ahead and acknowledge and appropriate what we've already been given? He, he, it's like, it's not rocket science. like, oh, there's this big mystery God's holding out. No, it's right here. Here's what he says. Submit yourselves therefore to God. What that means is surrender God raise the white flag. If there's an area in which you're fighting him, stop. You're the bride of Christ. He says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That might be one of the greatest promises in all of scripture. Resist the devil. What does it mean to resist the devil? It's not just resisting the devil when temptation comes. It's, it's proactively resisting him before the temptation comes. I'll be honest, man, some of my biggest failures have come because I've gone back to places that I knew were places I shouldn't be that were gonna potentially, it was a place in which I was weak and it was gonna take me backwards. Some of you, one of the biggest things you can do is you can burn whatever keeps taking you back. Burn it, get rid of it. Why in the world would, would an alcoholic go and hang out with a friend at a bar when he wants to break free from the chains of addiction? That makes absolutely zero sense to me. No, re- resist the devil. Proactively pray. Oh man, it doesn't stop there. It's good. Not just will he flee from me. He, he, this is promise of intimacy. Even after we fail, he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. There's another incredible promise. If you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. It's not that God is holding out on you. Intimacy is there. Intimacy is available. Seek the relationship. Man, Christ pursues you. The lack of intimacy is, is not because Christ doesn't want to have anything to do with us. No, Christ is pursuing us. As we pursue him, this beautiful promise draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And then when he talks about, he, he goes on to say this, uh, cleanse your sins, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. He, what, what he's reading there is not like, hey, just, just hate your life. Like literally you can't ever joke or anything like that. No, what he's saying is when it comes to your sin, Instead of minimizing it, instead of, 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 of acting like it doesn't exist, repent of it. Quit talking about, oh, I've got this, you know, I got this little error, I got a little mistake. Call it what it is. It's sin. Mourn over your sin. Don't minimize it. But here's, here's the good news. And as, as we do this, he, he's promised, Man, he's given us grace. And what we can know is this, today's victory is made possible by God's grace. But our part is this, it's gonna require our vulnerability and commitment. And the last verse that he puts us, gives us is this, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. You can be free. I don't have to leave, live this life of, oh man, I'm just a terrible, terrible person. Listen, at the end of the day, we are who we are in Christ because of God's amazing grace. But can I tell you that it's not just a grace that we receive and then we we actually spit in the face of that grace and continue to be who we were, who were before? No, it's gonna take some vulnerability commitment. We get to move forward. So next week, we're actually gonna break this down in even greater detail because there's some incredible stuff. There are a lot of people that are like, man, I love I love Christianity, but man, it's a lot of it's theoretical. It's not a lot of practical stuff. Dude, I'm gonna tell you the word is filled with practical. And next week, we are digging in to some practical things that I'm gonna tell you will anchor your faith. When the storm blows, it's not gonna be like my grill that blew over the other night, just tumbled over those crazy winds. Came. It ain't gonna be nothing like that. Dude, it's gonna be anchored like our house. Our house never moved. You're gonna be anchored. And man, this is what God has. But listen, here's the good news. He's given everything you need for life and godliness. And so if you're like, man, I don't know where to start. I don't know what, what to do. We just have it. Submit, surrender, resist. You're all near to God. Repent of your sins and humble yourselves before God. And it's amazing what God will do in in, in response as we take our next steps. And so God, may the truth of your word penetrate our hearts. May we understand that we have not been destined to victory only when we get to heaven, but God, that you have given us the Holy Spirit as a as, as a down payment on what we're gonna experience there, which means that because we've been given your Holy Spirit, that, that you are living within us, you are changing us even here, you're giving us glimpses of what we're gonna fully be there, but God, we can experience freedom, we can experience deliverance, we can experience victory even today. That does not mean that we're never gonna fail, but God, when we fail, it is not, going to be a lifetime of failure. Dear God, we'll understand who we are. We'll get up. We'll repent. We'll commit. We'll surrender. We'll, we'll, we'll draw near. We'll humble ourselves. And God, you have promised that you're gonna do the rest. Thank you for our standing in Christ. Thank you for the... the, the incredible promise that you're going to finish the work that you started. But God, thank you that you've given us what we need for life and godliness right here, right now. And for what you're going to continue to do in and through your people, we'll thank you for this. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, see you tonight at Next Steps at 5 p.m. Have a great day. We'll see you next week.